teacher friend, welcome to the Simply Teach podcast, a podcast for teachers by teachers. I'm your host, Kelly Jackson, and each week I bring you a podcast full of practical and helpful ideas from teachers. We all know that teaching is really hard work, and I want this podcast to be a place for you to not only find ideas, but to also find encouragement and motivation. Hey there, today you get to listen in on a conversation with my friend, Carolyn. Carolyn and I met way back at Texas State during Rush, our freshman year of college. We went on to become sorority sisters, education class buddies all throughout our four years. We were both teacher fellows and now we are adult friends. So I brought Carolyn on to talk about social and emotional learning, which is something she's really passionate about and really has a lot of knowledge on. She shares a ton of great ideas for managing behaviors with the little ones, but I also drop in some of my thoughts on how to handle things with the older kiddos. So don't tune out just because you don't teach the young ones. One thing though that I do love Carolyn does in this episode is she actually models how to do and say some of the things that she's sharing. And this is like totally her kindergarten teacher self coming out, but she has the perfect kinder teacher voice. And I really appreciated how she gave actual examples of talking about something that she would do and then modeling it for us, how she would use it in her class. This practical stuff is so, so helpful, especially when it comes to handling behavior. So here is my conversation with Carolyn. I know you're going to enjoy it. I'll talk to you on the other side of the conversation. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome to the Simply Teach podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, I am really excited to talk with you this morning. You and I go back to what, like freshman year of college, I guess? Yes. Is that probably when we met? I think so. Yeah, because we were in 80 Pi together. Mm -hmm. Were we in the same, like, what was that group called? Yeah, but started. No, no, no. The thing before that, like where you rush. Like, you know, the when you go through recruitment, I think we were in the same, like, um, I don't remember what they were called. I don't either. But group where we went to the houses. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, we were in the same sorority together. That's how we met. And then um, we went through college classes together, obviously both being elementary majors. We were both in teacher fellows together. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so we've known each other for a while. So would you mind introducing the listeners to just you know, a few things about Carolyn, who you are, what you do, all that good stuff. Sure. So um, I graduated from Texas State with Kelly and did teacher fellows, which was a great graduate program um, for teachers. After that, I did six years teaching kindergarten, two in Austin, moved to San Antonio when I got engaged to my husband for, we lived there for two years and then back to Austin where I taught two more years of kindergarten. Um, And then I had my baby girl in July of 2018. And so ever since then, I've been a stay-at-home mom. So um, a year and a half almost now. I've been home with her. And so that's kind of just my my new role. Was that a hard decision to make? Maybe. Let me rephrase that. That's not a bad question. Well, I mean, like in the sense of, I'm sure it's an easy decision in the sense that like, of course I want to stay home with my kid, but was it hard the decision, I guess, more of like having to leave the classroom? Did you feel a lot of tension there or like unsureness? Yes. I think making the decision, making the decision that I was still um, pregnant too, because she was born in July. Mm -hmm. Um, My big thing was the stress of starting the year with a sub. Oh yeah. Kind of worried me just any grade, but especially kindergarten, like their first experience, parents are already kind of nervous about giving 
few their babies. Mm-hmm. And um, the beginning of the year is just my favorite time. I mean, setting up your classroom, those little routines, that sounds crazy, but... Okay, we're going to have to talk on that in a few minutes then. <laughs> okay, okay. So we started having that conversation and looking up prices of daycare, which is crazy. Um, and I have, you know, always wanted to stay home if I was able to. So it's kind of a mix of all those decisions. Um, the daycare kind of cost kind of led us into a serious conversation about it. And then same with having a sub the beginning of the year. We kind of went in, well, we'll stay home this year it'll kind of be a test year mm-hmm. and see, you know, how I feel about not working, if it makes sense for our family. Um, and then I wouldn't have to, you know, start up my classroom after maternity leave, which was something that I personally felt nervous about. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't like yeah. that idea at all. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so since then I'm home and I'm just really enjoying the time with her and I'm kind of just seeing now that they really do grow up so fast. And so I feel fortunate to have, the opportunity to stay home. And again, not knowing if I can do that forever, or we're kind of just taking it year by year, what works for our family. So I'm enjoying it now. Yeah. So what are some things, I guess you didn't, you weren't on maternity leave so, per se, but you were teaching while you were pregnant at the end of the year when things mm-hmm. are crazy. So I was wondering if you could share any tips for any pregnant mom teachers listening right now that, um, are dealing with like, you know, being pregnant, pregnant and teaching. And then also if you do have any tips for like preparing for maternity leave that you heard from other teachers while you were still in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I would say being pregnant, my biggest thing, I was lucky where I wasn't sick. So that would be a whole new ball game. Um, but I was so tired. So I think just giving yourself that time to rest because, you know, teachers want to stay late so often and it's mm-hmm. so hard not to just put your whole self into your teaching life. But I think especially at that time, it's so important to get rest. So I was going home, taking a nap, eating dinner and going to sleep. <laughs> I was so tired, like the first couple months. So I think just allowing yourself to rest is going to be the best thing. And this sounds silly, but I was insanely thirsty. So I got myself a giant water bottle that I carried around like everywhere where it became an attachment to me where my kids, if I left it behind, <laughs> would be like, here's your water, you need it. Um, and then I think just being as soon as you're comfortable sharing your news, just sharing it with your students and your parents, because just having their support is so nice. And your kids get so excited. I have little books still that my kids made Kendall before she was born. Cause Aww. yeah. So it's just also, um, you know, they understand if you have to take off for a doctor's appointment, parents are more understanding. Cause I feel like you are having to take off a little more for those type of things. And then I feel like it helps just build a strong relationship between your parents and your kids because they're excited for you. And that's kind of a connection. A lot of them will have to you on a personal level. Yeah. I remember when I was like planning my wedding involving my kids. I mean, I I shouldn't say like actually involving them in the decision, but like Mm -hmm. showing them a few things that I was thinking of, you know, should I do this color or this color? And those things like help create that buy-in and that connection that leads to that community building that's so important in our classrooms. I agree. Definitely agree. What I wanted to bring you on for was something that you're really passionate about. I feel like I've talked to you about this. I mean, since our first year of teaching, um, social emotional learning is something that you're really passionate about. So I guess what, 
kind of caused that passion? And then what are some things you did in the classroom to really foster that? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think what caused, what kind of started it was just, again, in teacher fellows, when we're talking about class meetings and building relationships and also just being in the classroom, I mean, in internships and student teaching, you see that the children just want relationships with you, with each other. Um, and me being my experience in kindergarten, they just don't always have an, you know, an appropriate way to make a relationship. They don't really understand that. And I think a lot of people overlook that behavior and relationships and um, emotional management is something that you have to teach. And they're, they're people and they have real emotions and they shouldn't be overlooked. I think too often you see people um, and we're all guilty about dismissing it. Like, oh, it's okay. You're okay. That was a little deal. But to them, it's not, you know, something so small is a huge deal to them. And we need to help them learn how to identify their emotions and manage their emotions. Um, and then I think when I started teaching, what really got me into it was I went to a training um, on conscious discipline by Dr. Becky Bailey. And she's amazing. I have like three of her books that I would recommend to anybody Um, one of them is called Managing Emotional Mayhem, and it talks about how there's different steps to regulation, like they, um, you know, they're triggered by something, and then you need to teach them calming skills to calm down, how to identify their emotions, how um, to choose what they can do to solve the problem. So kind of just helping them realize there's a process to managing your emotions, and here's something um, that you can do. So that training really sparked my interest with conscious discipline. And so did um, love and logic, which is something I feel like more people are familiar with and they kind of go hand in hand. And the big thing with those is um, more so your language with everything. So, um, I mean, I can go on and on. So the language is um, just changing. It's all positive. And I think somewhat steers people, especially my husband, when I was talking to him about how I want to use like conscious discipline and positive language with Kindle. I think too many people think that you're not setting limits and that it's just like a free for all and they get to do what they want. And positive just means like keeping them happy. And that's not true. These talk about setting clear, concise expectations, following through, which is a big thing, um, and changing your language just in a positive way so that, like, it just changes the whole dynamic and you're delivering consequences with empathy. So saying, like, Kelly, I see that you're really frustrated. It's so hard to clean up when you don't want to clean up, but we are cleaning up and you can choose. Do you want to clean up your blocks first or your books first? So you're giving them a choice. They feel like they're sharing control with you. And pretty much you're saying it's time to clean up. You need to clean up now, but you're saying it in a way where they feel like they are in control. They have a choice and it's delivered with empathy. Like I get cleaning up when you don't want to is really hard but we're going to do it and you're really strong and you can do it and you can have this choice. So things like that. I try Mm -hmm. to use those language in the classroom and now with Kendall too. 
Yeah. It reminds me of, um, in, I think it was in grad school. Um, it's always stuck with me. Just the idea that like kids crave boundaries Mm -hmm. and it doesn't seem like they do. Like it seems like they want to just do whatever they want. And I think they think that they want to just do whatever and not follow rules and not have to clean up when it's time to clean up. But when I think about classrooms that I would go into where there were rules, but no follow through, um, that the kids were chaotic and it was stressful in there because the ki- they didn't have that dependability of like, my teacher told me to do something. She's going to hold me to it. And then when I'm done, it's, I'm going to feel better for it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important. And it also, you were talking and it reminded me of, I can look up the book. Do you remember when it was with the class meeting book that we had to read and it was this chart of like basically every decision a kid makes or maybe not decision, but behavior a kid um, does or acts out. There was like a way of categorizing it into like the misguided expectations. Mm -hmm. Was that what it was called? Do you remember what I'm talking about? I I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't think of the name, but it had like a trigger or a reason for all that. Yeah. And what you were talking about at the very beginning, um, talking about social emotional learning is the idea that like kids do have emotions and the way they're acting out is usually tied to something bigger than just, I don't want to clean up my blocks. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, I will look it up the book and the name of it and link to it in the show notes for anybody listening. So that way they can go and check that out. Because I remember that being really helpful for me. It was presented as something to like share with the kids. It was like one of the building blocks of the class meetings. I never actually shared Mm -hmm. it with my kids because I didn't think it was very valuable for how young they were. But um, I think as a teacher and an educator, it's really important to have that awareness of what is causing them to act out. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, and kind of with that, how you were talking about the emotions and kids have emotions and it comes from a different place. An important part of my classroom um, that I got from conscious discipline and that training, which they bring up in other um, behavior management programs too, though, is having a safe place in your classroom. And when I put that in my classroom, I mean, I think that was my third year. So like half of my teaching, I had one and it made such a difference with my kids. Um, And it was pretty much just an area where they could go and calm down. I had strategies on the wall that we kind of created together, Um, like a chart where they could identify their emotions, come up with some solutions and calming strategies that we came up with as a class, including some like breathing techniques. That's all part of conscious discipline, too. Um, And just talk about how at the beginning of the year, I talk about when you feel frustrated or you feel mad or you feel angry, if you're not at a point where you're ready to handle that appropriately, you can take a break. Some people need to take a break. I mean, and we see that as adults. Mm-hmm. I'm a person where if there's a problem, so this was something I had to learn. I want to solve it. I want to talk about it. I want to finish it right there in my personal life with like friends and my husband. And he's someone that needs to like take a minute, take a break take a breather to calm down before we have a discussion and kids are the same way. So mm-hmm. some kids need an area I mean, cause they're stuck in the classroom. They can't like go on a walk to calm down, but they need an area where they can safely calm down. I had coloring pages, those little like gooey calming shakers, um, books that we've read in the classroom, like social emotional books. And it was in a pillow. It was just like a, 
place they could take a break. If they felt frustrated, if they felt tired, and maybe that's why they were being grumpy, um, if they felt sad, it was just an area that they could have their own personal space when they needed. it. Did you find that kids, I'm playing devil's advocate here, mm-hmm. a teacher listening. Did you find that kids would take advantage of that, especially when it first started out? Yes. And I'm glad you said that. Um, I did. And then this is where I kind of had to tweak it where the idea of it, which if I could do it just how they say, which some students I could, um, where they get the time they need and everything. I had a couple timers in there, sand timers, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, if you need a little longer time, I had like a seven minute sand timer, a five minute sand timer, and like a three minute sand timer. Some students that I you know, would go in there, forget to use it, but I knew they would come back. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't remind them, you know, Mm -hmm. but students I knew maybe were going to try to do some, you know, just like take a long break, like, I feel like I'm (laughs) today. Um, I'd be like, hey, which sand timer do you want? So they're still having a choice, you know. I like how you said that. Which did you choose? Not, don't forget to put your sand timer on because that's what I would have said. (laughs) I know. And it's so hard. That's another thing is how phrasing things like questions when if they say no, like, do you want to put on a sand timer? You don't like you're screwed. (laughs) Like you can't come back from that. So giving them a directed like option where these are your choices not to do. It's not a choice, but you want this one, this one or this one. Um, So that was something that I implemented that I don't think really, you know, falls hand in hand, but as a teacher, you got to tweak it for what works for your classroom. Cause I was having students that abuse that space. Right. Um, and then when I introduced it, part of it was, um, like this is a space you're, you have all these emotions and this is a space you can use. <laughs> Obviously it was more in depth than that, but, um, and then talk about how, but as a teacher, I always say like my job's to help you learn and keep you safe. This is an area where I can help keep you safe and help you, you know, keep your emotions safe and your body safe. But my job's also to teach you. And so there's some times where I'm going to have to tell you this is not a good time. You know, mm-hmm. if I saw that it was, you know, maybe they needed to go over there, but it wasn't an emergency like breakdown situation. I could be like, I see you want to use that space. We're going to finish this writing activity and then you can go over there. You know, so giving Mm -hmm. them kind of guidelines and setting that expectation at the beginning. Like there are going to be some times where I'm going to tell you you have to wait. Yeah, that's good. Okay, can we talk about something kind of controversial in the education world? Yes, we can. (laughs) Um, The color chart. Yeah. Uh So I know that um, it's something that I think in grad school we kind of were – I guess, led away from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I tried it a couple of times, but it just never really worked for me. I know it's something that you, uh, I don't think you ever used in your classroom. Did you? I did actually my first year teaching. Okay. And so what was your experience with it and what made you just like kind of come to the other side of it? Something that you don't really feel is maybe the best way to manage behavior. Right. Um, I think that why I started. And, hold on. Can this, I mm-hmm. pause? I, I want to make sure that we, like, before we get into this conversation, that people listening don't feel, like, shamed if we're, yes. like, us talking about this, because it really is. Like you were just saying with the calm down safe space area, you have to do what works for your classroom, and you have, you're the leader of that classroom, and you have to make the best decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's some 
research out there and things that show that this isn't the best possible or the most productive way, I guess, of teaching kids how to manage behavior. And so I don't want anybody to feel shame or like we're attacking them yeah, by talking about this. So some people might not have a choice or based yeah. I, at the school I just went to, we actually switched and I can mention that, but um, that was where every classroom had to use a clipboard. Like that was a school expectation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at that point, you just got to make it work for you and your in your class if you yeah. don't have a choice in it. Um, so the clip chart's not something that I personally find successful with kids. Again, people might adapt it to work, work for them. Um, I think the big thing that I steer away from is just how it's usually a public thing, even if it's behind the teacher's desk or inside a cabinet, like I've seen that done. Um, and that's something I tried when I had it was it was like inside my cabinet door. But Still, it's something that's displayed, and when students even move their own clip, they can see other clips, and I just think that behavior and addressing students' behavior, especially when it's a negative thing, should be something private between you and that student, and I think also with the color chart too often, it's um, not specific, so they might not necessarily know you know, you have expectations. I don't know. You poked somebody with your pencil, go move your clip to red. Right. So I think when you address it too often, it becomes just a quick response to students with a lot of teachers that use it. And I'm not speaking for everybody, but, um, right. I'll say move your clip to red. And sometimes you're, day as a teacher is crazy. So that's the end of the conversation. They did something bad. They moved their clip to red, right? And you might address it at the end a little bit. And, but I'm guilty my first year where there's some things where I'd be like, okay, they broke a rule. They moved their clip. And at the end of the day with other things happening, you almost forget the extent or the whole scenario or, um, just the conversation about it kind of goes away. Um, and so, and then, um, like, I think, too, when kids communicate this to parents, because I think behavior should, you know, best case scenario, be hand in hand with teachers teaching and parents supporting and kind of being the same thing with behavior. They'll go home and they'll be like, I'm on red today. And that's what that's their takeaway is not mm-hmm. like I poked one with a pencil. I had to apologize. He had to calm down. Like I had this discussion and this learning experience with these people. I think too often they go home and they're like, I'm on red today. Or other way around, I'm on green today. Great. Like that's the end of their behavior discussion with their parents because in their mind, they're remembering the color. And sometimes that's all that's communicated. So I think you can adapt that where you can have more of a conversation with the kids and more of a conversation to make it a little more meaningful. But I think too often the color is what's in the student's head. You know, and some charts go up right? And they'll be like, I'm on purple. It's like, that's great. I made good choices. Great. And that's, again, I think all these conversations need to be more in depth. Students need to be even more celebrated for the great things they did. And that should be communicated more with the parents. And going back, I think too often the clip chart, like you might address the red student's behavior, you know, make a little note, but too often it's like, okay, red, purple, great. Like they go home on purple, but they don't have specific things they did that were congratulated that they can have a conversation with their parents about. And 
you know, celebrate themselves, feel proud about specific actions that they'll repeat because they know exactly what went well. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it does. So those are kind of my things with the color train. I think also, I think my biggest like factor in not doing it is it's the same kids that are always on red. Mm-hmm. It's the same kids that are always on green or purple. And um, that's so disheartening for, I think, especially the kids taking it back to what we talked about at the beginning, they're probably on red because they're having something going on in their life. That's bigger than just poking somebody with a pencil. And, um, when it's just day in and day out, I'm on red, I'm on red, I'm on red. Like over time, that really is going to diminish a kid's, um, you know, positivity and, and self worth. All right, you guys, it is the middle of the school year when this podcast is dropping into your queue. Are you counting down the days to Christmas break yet? This time of year is a great time to start looking at all your systems, your processes, and your routines and evaluating them on what's working and what's not. It's okay to change things mid-year. In fact, I actually think it's a great way to try something new with a set of kids that you already have an established relationship with. In just a couple weeks, in the beginning of December, I am launching the Mid-Year Classroom Tune-Up course, and I am so excited about it. This course was created out of what you have asked for. I've gone to my email list, my social media, and I asked you, what are you struggling with right now? And here is some of what I've heard. Retaining student attention, keeping organized, staying consistent with routines and procedures, new teachers getting their first job in January, staying motivated. All those things came from the surveys that I asked people. And I cannot tell you how many times people said papers is what is stressing them out right now. It's too many to count. But y'all, every one of those things is being addressed in the mid-year classroom tune-up course that's launching in December. We're going to talk about time management, classroom organization, how you can revamp your classroom using my organization method. We're going to talk about classroom management when it comes to differentiation, consistency, keeping your kids focused. We'll also talk about how to handle returning from break and how you stay motivated and excited as a teacher. Because first-year teachers out there, if nobody has told you yet, I am telling you now, the beginning of the second semester is a lot like the beginning of the year. So you want to make sure you go back to the second semester with a plan in place. I'm also going to be throwing in some bonus materials to help you with organization and time management. You can get all the info over my website, thesimplyorganizedteacher.com. It's going to be launching the first week of December, so I recommend that you head over there now to the website, sign up for my email list, because those are going to be the people who hear about it first when it launches. So head to thesimplyorganizedteacher.com to sign up for the mid-year classroom tune-up course. So what are some ways that you positively would manage behavior and also deal with consequences? Because I, I do firmly believe that consequences have to be dealt. I mean, if a kid makes a mistake, they need to be held accountable for it. For sure. Um, so what's worked for me with, um, behavior management is I am a big supporter of class dojo and, but again, it's how I did it. Never had it displayed. Always had it private. No other students saw it throughout the whole day. Um, And I like, because it's a direct communication with parents, and um, it can be very specific. So even at the beginning, a lot of the time I would include students. I'd have some little notes that were already created. So if people aren't familiar, it's an app, right, that has um, 
a section that's just behavior management and you create like little awards, fake awards for positive behaviors and then also reminders for negative behaviors. So I would have things like um, helping a friend, right? Using kind words, um, actively participating. So all these things. And when I was at a seven habits school, it was related to the seven habits. So you can really tweak it to um, what works at your school. Maybe you'll have certain um, positive rewards you give. And then um, negative points, which I would just always call reminders, would be like, um, you know, unsafe hands, things like unsafe hands, um, not actively participating, unsafe movement. So things that still might not be specific enough, but there's a section where you can add a note and it could be real quick or it's something that you can look back later. A lot of the times I would go back and add notes um, like during library or you know, a time where you had a break as a teacher specials. Um, and those are in communication with the parents. And for me, I would talk to the parents at the beginning. Some reminders you can even set to where zero points were given. So they would get points for positive. You could even set where a reminder would be zero. So it doesn't affect their points in any way, but mm -hmm. it's something that you want the student to be aware of, like this was a mistake that we made today that we need to have a conversation about. And I spoke with parents where if it was something that I put in Dojo, it was something that had already been addressed with the student. And then we needed to make sure we had a more in-depth conversation at the end of the day because it happened again. Um, so mm -hmm. negative points were honestly pretty rare, you know, but if it happened, it was something that I felt needed an extra discussion and needed a, maybe a reminder, um, to family, like this happened and this is a discussion that y'all should have. So the zero points would kind of serve as like a notice to parents that Johnny poked a kid with a pencil today, but this is the first time it's happened. We talked about it. We're moving on. The negative point would come like if it continued to happen. Is that what I'm understanding? Well, I would actually kind of choose what was more like severe as far as the points go. And the points mm -hmm. um, is kind of a thing that I would still-ish struggle with, but I'd be like interrupting zero points. You know what I mean? Like that's a mm -hmm. something that I want to talk to you about and it interrupted our learning environment. And it's something that we need to have a conversation about, but poking a kid with a pencil, that's keeping, you know, my classroom unsafe and that's keeping your friend mm -hmm. unsafe. And that's our job is to keep everyone safe together. So that might be okay. something that takes away some of their points. Um, okay. I see. And again, the so what I would do is throughout the day, we do this. And what's great about Class Dojo is I know I when I first heard of it, I was like, oh, my gosh, to give all these kids points, that's going to take so much time in my day. But there, And you want to make sure you're rewarding all the positive. But you can do whole class points, which was great because it'd be like, oh, my gosh, everyone's working so hard. And it kind of builds that school family, too. Like, we're all mm -hmm. getting um, a working hard point. And those would be the only kind of points that I would announce really out loud or you know, recognizing, I see that Kelly's walking really safely in the hallway. She's being a wonderful model. And then I could give her a point. Um, mm -hmm. So keeping where your announcements are more kind of on the positive. And when I came up with those negatives, I think I mentioned it before, um, the reminders, a lot of them we'd come up with at the beginning of the year together, you know, like this is a safe space. Mm -hmm. We are a school family. What are some things that we want to make sure we don't do? You know, we don't want to hurt our friends. We don't want to say mean things. So those would be some points that they would kind of help me come up with so they really understand 
these are clear expectations. And I think that goes along with the chart. Like these are clear things that we decided as a class are beneficial and helpful. And these are clear things that are creating an O&M safe space that we don't want to do. Um, and then at the end of the day, it's finding the time could be difficult for teachers. I was very fortunate where the school I was at when I was really implementing this was very pro free play for young kids. So we had like a little free play time at the end of the day where I would take their folders because that was a school expectation was to have take home folders that somehow communicated um, notes, but also behavior. And so I would just write their points for the day. Like they had 10 points or 20 points. Um, and so that was really just served as a reminder to parents like, hey, cl check Class Dojo and you'll see all these wonderful mm -hmm. things your kid did today, you know, or have a conversation. But um, that was my time. I called each kid one by one. We went through their points like, hey, you did a great job helping your friends today. You were so you got an extra compliment in the library. I really noticed you cleaned up your lunch spot today. But one thing we need to talk about is um, when you got frustrated, you threw your book. And that's unsafe, right? You had this unsafe behavior point. And can you tell me more? You know, we didn't have a lot of time earlier to talk about that. Tell me why you felt frustrated. Because sometimes it's hard. to You want to solve in the moment. But if you can't, I felt like this held me accountable to make sure I had that conversation. What made you feel this way? When you feel this way, what are you going to do next time? Like, how can we change that? So I felt like it held me accountable for having these important, I mean, social emotional learning conversations with my kids. And then I can later, you know, add a note, say we talked about it and the family sees the same thing and can have the same conversation. And then it makes you say, you know, if your student's on red, sometimes you just focus on what got you to red. Here, mm -hmm. I made sure that I like layered my reminder with positive things that happened that day because it was all there. Yeah, I I really like that because when I had a really difficult year, my second year, and I had my principal come in and observe me, um, observe the kid, observe me, like observe the whole situation. Um, I mean, it kind of pissed me off, honestly, at the time. But looking back, I realized basically he said, you, um, like called on this kid for a negative behavior, like six or seven times within the 45 minutes that I was there, um, for, and he had like read research that for every negative call out or negative, whatever you need to give three positives. Mm -hmm. And so like in that same 45 minutes, I should have also praised that kid at least 20 times, you know? And, of course, like when I first heard that, I was kind of upset because, you know, it's like, oh, shoot, I did something wrong. I'm not being a good teacher. But then when I really thought about it and started implementing it, it totally changed. Like you keep talking about the language and the empathy that you're sharing with that you're showing kids by the words that you're using. And when I learned about that, it really changed the way I talked to my kids and just the simplest little things of thanking them for getting in line quietly or whatever, just the tiniest little things, those little things build up. I know for me, I'm a person that like, I mean, I had this conversation with my husband a lot. Like if he criticizes me or says something like constructive to me, like I need at least three or four positives about something I'm doing too, because I take that criticism so intensely. Mm -hmm. And so 
like, why would that not be the same for our kids who are so much younger and like, I can at least manage my emotions right. <laughs> somewhat. Um, but you know, like a little kid who can, and all they hear all day, again, circling back to what we talked about at the beginning is negative, negative, mm-hmm. negative. They want to hear that positive. Exactly. And I think like the, whatever book you were talking about earlier, like the positive discipline we had in teacher fellows mm-hmm. and with love and logic, a big thing that they talk about is making deposits. Right. So, um, how, mm-hmm there are times where you're going to have to be more firm and more direct and say like, I've given you lots of choices. This is my choice. This is what we need to do to keep you safe. Um, But if you have said all these positive things or giving them so many other choices throughout the day, it's like a piggy bank where they have all this, you know, all these positive deposits in their bank. And so if something happens throughout the day with another student, that's negative or um, you're having to be more firm and directive they have all this change that you can take out and they're still full, you know, mm-hmm. of positive. Right. So I like that comparison. Yeah. So you mentioned some books that teachers can read for themselves. Um, and I'm going to list all those in the show notes. Can you think of any off the top of your head that are, like you said, you had some books in the, in the safe space that the kids could read. Can you think of any off the top of your head that you would recommend? Okay that teachers get for their classroom libraries? I can't. I can definitely send some to you too. Because okay. I literally, I still have in my garage all my teaching books, which my husband's thrilled <laughs> about. So it takes up half the garage. Um, but I have like a social emotional bin. So I can even later send you some to list. But um, perfect. one that I always read introducing my safe place was I Feel Silly Today by Jamie, um, Jamie Lynn Curtis. Is that her name? Jamie Lee oh, Curtis. Oh, yeah. And she... Yeah. It just talks about like today this happened and I feel silly. Today this happened and I feel mad. And so I really talk about raise your you know have you had these feelings? I've had these feelings. Um, when you feel mad, like share with your partner something that you might have done or all these things. And so we talk about how we all have these feelings, um, and sometimes you know may cause you to want to do something that may not be safe for others or things. So we need to realize how to manage our emotions. So are are you allowed to feel mad? Are you allowed to feel angry? Absolutely. You can't help your emotions, but let's talk and learn things we can do to manage those emotions appropriately. Keep everyone safe. I feel like safe was the biggest word in my classroom where I always told them, I think I mentioned earlier, like I'm here to help you learn and keep you safe. You're here to help everyone learn and keep everyone safe. Like we all have an important job. So I'd read that one to introduce emotions. Um, One of my favorite ones was the pigeon, don't let the pigeon drive the bus, which Mm -hmm. I would read that at the beginning because throughout the whole book, the kids get super into it, right? They're yelling, no, like the pigeon can't drive the bus. And we talk about why, like, why do we keep telling that pigeon? No, would it be safe for a pigeon to drive the bus? No. Right. And my job is to keep you safe. So there are going to be times in the classroom where I'm going to have to tell you, no, we can't do certain things. And it's, you know, not because I don't love you or because I don't care about you or because I don't want you to have fun, but my job is to keep you safe. We didn't want that pigeon to get hurt on the bus. I don't want you to get hurt in the classroom. Um, so those were two really big ones. There's also one, it's a whole series, and I don't know the author, but it's Hands Are Not For Hitting, Voices Are Not For Yelling, Um 
and there's a whole series. There's one that I got for Kindle that's called Tales Are Not For Pulling, which we're going to read about treating our dogs safely. Um, but they have whole series that are real great, like really simple, um, you know, teaching appropriate voice, teaching appropriate hands. Like hands are for waving and hands are for writing and hands are not for hitting. So um, there's a whole series, but I can't remember the author of those. So those off the top of my head were like my big um, must-have ones. Oh, and Llama Llama the Bully Goat was also one of my favorites. And I don't know if those books are like more geared towards the younger kiddos. So I I didn't prepare, like I literally thought of this question as we were talking. So I will um, look through my books and whatnot and also include books for the older kids because I think it's important to, even in middle school, to be reading kids, reading books to our kids um, on these topics to, to create, like, I like how you kind of gave that example of like, okay, here's the book I'm reading. And then how you had them talk about what did they do when they were mad? Because then just reading the book, I don't mm-hmm. think is helpful. I think the discussions that come with the book is where the true learning happens. Right. I agree. And there's just so many children's books and picture books that have some kind of hidden, like emotional or managing emotion mm-hmm. or relationships or problem solving message. Like so many. And one thing I did in that year where I had the really difficult kids is like it got to where they couldn't even do daily five or math stations because they just they they couldn't like they could not behave in them. So they had alternate stations that were like it was essentially this um, menu of dessert. I mean, not dessert <laughs> appetizer, um, main course and dessert. And like the main course activity was um they had to pick a book out of like, I had a social emotional bin in my library that they had to pick a book out of read. And then like, I don't remember what I had them do with it. Maybe a behavior map or like write some kind of reflection. I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but um, that was like a way for them to interact with the books in a different way and still kind of get those messages of how to treat people. And I love that. That's a great idea. Okay. Before we wrap up, I want to transition. And you mentioned that you love, which I love beginning of the school year too, but I didn't teach kindergarten. (laughs) Um, So if you could share like, I don't know, three or four tips to a teacher getting ready to start. Well, I guess by the time this comes out, they're going to be well into the middle of the year, but a teacher who's listening, um, what are some things as a kinder teacher, they need to make sure they have in place or think about like, just what would be your top three or four things? for that teacher? Um, yeah. And the beginning of the year is crazy. Don't get me wrong, (laughs) but I just love like just meeting the kids and establishing relationships is such a big part. So, um, big things, I think one as a kindergarten teacher, probably any grade level, but my experiences with kindergarten is you will be so much more stress-free if you just limit your expectations at the beginning of the year for what you're able to teach. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to go in with like, we're going to read this book and write this thing and do all these things. You want to go in with, okay, we're going to learn how to sit on the carpet today. And if that's all I accomplished with these kids, like we had a successful day. So I think just realizing like the beginning of the year is so much um, establishing the relationship, make sure you're taking that time to get your kids to know one another. Um, You know, we started kind of our class meetings and their class expectations for that was how we started off the year. So we had at least a very structured and happy morning. (laughs) Um, And 
So if that was the only thing I taught day one was how to sit safely on the carpet and, you know, this is how our class meetings go, or we kind of just get to know each other. And in kindergarten, a lot of it was like, let's share our favorite color. But for kids, that's exciting, you know, to tell mm-hmm. somebody about themselves. And I made it a big deal where if kids are shy sometimes, like you don't want to share, you can share, you know, like we'll, we'll pass you and here's a cute little stuffed animal. You can hold while you share. If you don't want it, just pass it to the next person. So just super um, chill, no expectations like low expectations with what you can do. Again, like the first day you might teach um, your class meeting. Then you might teach how to walk in the hallway. Next day you might teach how to use the bathroom. So I think understanding that you are not going to be, have world's greatest lesson plans the first couple weeks of school and being okay with that and changing your mindset is going to just help you kind of start the year stress-free. Your kids went home and they're safe and they're fed and they learned how to sit. That's a great day. (laughs) It's just being Um, realistic. And I think, I mean, you're right. Like you have to do that in any grade level. I would assume Mm -hmm. even in high school, you have to be realistic because you don't know what you're getting when those kids walk in the door. Right. And I feel like my first year of teaching, that was so hard for me because you are so excited. You come in with so Mm -hmm. many ideas and you create the perfect day. And then you realize like, oh, that didn't work out. So yeah, just trying to be realistic. Um, and the beginning of the year, I think a big thing is can just starting off on the right foot with parents. Um, and I think taking the extra time, the first day you might just need to go home and sleep, but the first week of school, taking the time to message each parent individually saying something positive about the week. Like I've really enjoyed, um, meeting Kelly. She's a great addition to our classroom. I noticed this, this, and this about her, you know, she's very bright kid or something just so they know that you've taken like an interest in their own child. You're there to keep them safe. Um, and just starting out a relationship them off the bat. Another thing going back to class dojo, which there's a ton of other ways to do that, even just email, but they have a really cool messaging app which I pretty much just used um, to send pictures throughout the day. If I could snap a quick picture and send it, um, then they see, parents want to see what their kids are doing. Even before I had Kindle, I would take my dogs to a daycare that had a video. And it's just so fun to see like what your, your kids are doing. You feel more involved in their learning experience. Um, That's funny you mentioned that because I'm like today working on writing a couple blog posts on why it's important to take pictures in the classroom. So uh it's funny that you mentioned that. Yes, absolutely. And I think it just kind of helps create like, like I said, build a relationship, but create a school family. Because again, on Class Dojo, you could take individual pictures that were just sent to parents or Mm -hmm. it's almost like a class Instagram. Like you can just Mm -hmm. upload Mm -hmm. the pictures um, of the whole class doing anything, obviously considering any, you know, right. legal things you need to consider, but, um, but where kids could look back and see different things they were doing throughout the year, parents feel like part of the classroom and know what you're doing and parents can send you pictures. I mean, it's not displayed to the class, but mm-hmm. individually. Okay. So, yeah. um, there'd be times where if kids were working on something at home that they were really proud of. I encourage parents to send a picture like, oh, at home you practice sight words and shaving cream. That's so cool. Like, let's put this picture on the smart board and show your friends. And so it also encouraged them to work at home because they would yeah. send everything. So I, I like got that. on a little rant. But um, 
But again, this beginning of the year establishing those relationships, I would say, is so, so big. And then also, I think establishing, um, introducing a section of your classroom at a time and making sure, especially, I'm sure with all grades, but again, my experiences with kindergarten, if you just have a free for all, mm -hmm. your classroom's going to be a mess in a second. So there were centers that I had like signs that said under construction or not available yet. Um, and then I said, when we talk about that center, we get to use that center, you know? And so of course they were mm -hmm. going to be able to use all the things in my classroom, but it was going to take time for them to learn how to appropriately handle them, um, learn what they're there for and learn how to clean them up responsibly. So I would say like unraveling part of your, um, classroom is as it makes sense with teaching your kids and making sure you're explaining each section um, will help classroom management and then also help just clean the cleanliness and organization of your classroom too. Yeah, no, that's great because as a kinder teacher, you have so much of the play mm -hmm. stuff in there. That, that's such a big part or I don't know if it, you know, is continuing to be, but it should be such a big part of the classroom. Um, that's a good thing. I would have never thought about that. And that's why you are the perfect kinder teacher and I am not and will never be. I always tell people when they, when I hear they teach kinder, I'm like, you deserve an extra crown in heaven for doing that because it takes so much patience and love and which is something that you've always had. Um, and so I know that as a mom, you're like doing that amazing to Kendall, you've always just been so passionate and so loving towards the kiddos and even towards people like your peers. So well, thank you. But so are you, but also how you said, I think everyone just has their niche. Like when I think of teaching yeah. older grades, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like fifth graders, that's scares me. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I think everyone just has where they, where they fit their spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you fit perfectly in kindergarten. Okay. Well, thank you, Carolyn, so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you coming and sharing all of this with our listeners. Thank you for having me. Hey, I have a question for you really quick. How's your behavior management system going? Are your kids responding well to it? Do you keep up with it? Do you even have one? Classroom management is the base layer to a successful classroom. Think of it like a tiered wedding cake. You know, when they make a big cake like that, they put those rods in it, or maybe it's a dowel. I'm not a baker, and to be honest, I'm not exactly sure that I'm even correct in this statement, but just go with me here. You need those dowels in the cake to help hold up the wedding cake, to support it, to give it structure. That's what your classroom management plan is to your classroom. Without that structure, your classroom will crumble. But have no fear. I have a fun and easy to implement resource to help you engage your students in a positive behavior management plan. The Behavior Management Economic System. This behavior management plan system has been researched and proven not only to improve student behavior, but also to teach students about personal financial literacy. This is the program I've been using in my classroom since day one. Students are paid for their positive behavior in classroom jobs. There are opportunities to teach them about saving and spending. In the packet, I tell you about the resources that I use to implement this plan with my students. I walk through an implementation plan that spans over a couple weeks. 
not because it takes that long to implement, but to allow you time to fully implement in a step-by-step process. I provide modifications for grades K through six. I also give you classroom money that you can copy to use in your classroom, as well as some activities that you can do with your kids. There's check registers, checks, and so much more in there. Learn more about the product and grab your copy by heading to the simplyorganizedteacher.com, then to the shop, it's on the top menu bar, and then click on Behavior Management Economic System. It can be yours for $7, and as a thank you for being a podcast listener, you can use the coupon code SIMPLYTEACH for 10% off your purchase. Did you see what I was talking about? Her perfect kinder teacher voice. When I think of a kindergarten teacher, I think of Carolyn. She's so passionate. She's so loving. She is seriously so gracious to her kiddos. And I know they were so blessed to have her. But what I kept hearing Carolyn say was the importance of loving kids well, which I firmly believe in. I'm also a huge advocate for handling, handing out consequences and follow, following through with the things that you say you're going to do, but none of that can happen, or I guess it can, it just won't be healthy if you don't have that relationship piece of the puzzle. It is so, so crucial that we fill up those piggy banks that Carolyn was talking about, the little ones and the older kids. We've got to fill up their their piggy banks in order for them to really know and trust us so that when it does come those times where we have to hand out a consequence or have a more firm talk with them, they know that we are doing it out of love and out of compassion for them. Carolyn shared some great books for you to read as a teacher that are going to be all linked over in the show notes. Plus she shared some books that the kids can read. I will also share a few books that I used uh, when I was teaching over on the show notes, like my mouth is a volcano, stand tall, Molly Mellon, how full's your bucket, the Kevin Hinkies. I can't, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Lily's plastic purse, um, chrysanthemum, all those books. Plus wonder is a really great one. I read with my third graders one year. But I will do a little bit more research because I realized that a lot of the books I read on this topic were probably not the most diverse books. And I know that's something I really want to be intentional about. So I'll do some research between now when I'm recording this and when you're actually listening to this in your ears and share all of that over on the blog. Thank you so much for being a listener of the podcast. Remember, you can support the podcast by leaving a rating and review. You can sign up for the newsletter over at bit.ly slash tsopmail, and I'm going to send you weekly teaching support and encouragement related to all the things I love talking about, classroom organization, management, all that good stuff. And you can also check out the Simply Organized Teacher Shop. I've got some great resources over there on sale for you, and you can go check them out. All right, you guys, y'all have a great week. I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Simply Teach. Remember all the show notes, links to things we talked about, and access to the Simply Organized Teacher email list is all over my website, thesimplyorganizedteacher.com. Also, you can find me on Instagram at thesimplyorganizedteacher. Guys, I want to be your social media friend. I want to interact with you, so come find me. The fun music you're listening to, that's provided by hooksounds.com.